The Greater Victoria Shakespeare Festival creates and performs on the land of the Lekwungen and Wasainic peoples. We respect the relationship they continue to have with the land to this day and the strength of generational resilience in the face of ongoing systemic colonial violence and genocide. As you listen to this podcast, please consider your relationship to this land and remember that every settler is responsible for dismantling the colonial genocide that Indigenous people continue to face. Welcome to the Greater Victoria Shakespeare Festival's Soliloquy Project, Season 2, As You Like It. This episode features Rosalind in Act 3, Scene 2. Sound design and theme song for this podcast are by Taylor Lewis. The outro is presented by General Manager Candace Woodland. The podcast is hosted by Artistic Director Karen Lee Pickett. She interviews Dr. Erin Kelly. Welcome back to another episode of the Soliloquy Project. I'm here again with the wonderful Dr. Erin Kelly, Associate Prof of English at the University of Victoria. Thanks, Erin, for joining us. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited because we get to talk about Rosalind tonight. Rosalind, yes. So in our um, our season, the season we're talking all about As You Like It. And this episode is focusing on Rosalind in Act 3 of As You Like It. She is talking to Orlando, but there are some things we should know about this uh, this conversation. What should we know about this, Erin? Well, at its most basic, uh, Rosalind, the character at this point, is dressed as Ganymede. She's disguised herself as a boy. Um, and so, at least on the surface, Orlando has met this boy in the forest, this boy Ganymede. And Rosalind, uh, of course, knows that this actually is Orlando, and she knows that she's really Orlando. And so we have this complicated situation where Orlando explains that he's in love and that he's in love with Rosalind and Rosalind, who he doesn't know is really Rosalind disguised as Ganymede, is basically presenting that uh, he, uh, Ganymede, uh, could help to cure Orlando of this malady, which is him being in love with Rosalind. She's encountered Orlando um, as the person who's now self-identified as the person who's been hanging all these poems on trees all over the woods, all these these poems about Rosalind. Um, and as Ganymede, basically, as part of this, this quipping, I, th- I think people might even now call it negging. It ba- basically immediately says, you know, it says, can't be you. You can't really be in love. And Orlando insists, no, I really, I'm, I'm definitely in love. I'm completely in love. I'm besotted. I'm head over heels, Rosalind, Rosalind, Rosalind. And what Ganymede comes back and says is, no, actually, you don't have any of the marks of love upon you. My uncle taught me to, to know what, it, what all the signs of love are. And what you're showing me right now is not anybody who has all the symptoms of love. And what we then get is essentially the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistics you know, Manual, uh, official list of what are the symptoms. And these would be the symptoms not just of love, but of love melancholy. Um, This is going to require a little bit of a quick detour into the idea of the humoral body. Um, In the early modern period, and actually the classical period, all the way up even into the 18th century, there's there's a European 
idea of how the human body works. Um, that the body is basically a sack of fluids. There's, there are four fluids inside of this sack of fluids. Not that there aren't organs and other things, but most basically um, people are made up of these four fluids. Um, there's blood, there's phlegm, there's yellow bile, there's black bile. And black bile in Greek is melancholy. Um, literally just means black bile. And, and the perfectly healthy human being would have all of their humors perfectly in balance. And by the way, that kind of doesn't exist. So there's this sense that everyone is already out of balance in at least some way. And that if you're too far out of balance in a particular way, you're actually ill. So love melancholy is one of those ways of being out of balance, being disorderly, being too far out of line. You have too much black bile. And in this particular case, it's, it's linked to being too far in love. And the kinds of symptoms that Rosalind is pointing to are things like a lean cheek, a blue eye and sunken. And blue eye doesn't mean like the color of your iris. It would mean like you have dark circles around your eyes, dark circles under your eyes is, is what would be a blue eye, that those circles would be seen as, as dark blue. Um, your eyes are sunken. If you look at Hamlet, Ophelia, when she describes to her father, Hamlet, when he comes into her chamber um, and holds her hand and gazes into her eyes, he's disheveled, he looks wan, he looks lean, he holds her. It's a standard list. Um, there's a lot of paintings and miniatures of early modern men who are supposed to be in this state of love melancholy. And you'll always see that kind of their clothing's a little bit askew and they, they look lean and they have these dark circles. So that's actually what's, what's being described here. Um, is, There's is a real kind of sense of improv with what, how she's uh, is delivering this. Absolutely. And what, what I, what I love about this improv um is it, it, yeah she she's making stuff up if you try to go from beginning to end and follow the logic it's very reactive and it's very playful and it doesn't entirely hang together and that's okay because it's improvisatory and in fact part of that improvisation um as she's kind of yes ending in classic improvisation uh gameplay um i think this is really a emblematic scene of what makes Rosalind attractive and appealing? Unlike Beatrice and Benedict, where we have a male character and a female character who are engaging in this kind of sparring, you know, part of what makes Rosalind so fascinating is that there's an eroticism here that is not quite exactly just a male character and a female character and something that is cisgender and heterosexual and straightforward in those kinds of ways. I mean, I think Rosalind of all of Shakespeare's characters is the one where a really wonderfully capacious word for an eroticism that isn't just binary um, in, in, you know, straight, whatever words people want to use, that, that this is, this is wonderfully queer. It's, it's part of what makes it so delicious and erotic and fun and really kind of sexy. Um, we basically have with Rosalind, uh, a female, you know, a, a woman pretending to be a boy who then is pretending to be a woman. 
in order to engage erotically with the man who is actually in love with that woman, but here is going to engage with a fictional version of that woman by engaging with a boy. So we're going to have a man and a boy in this kind of erotic play with each other. That's one of the many ways that this is going on. Um, then, given the staging conventions of Shakespeare's theater, we actually would have a boy actor playing a woman who's playing a boy who's playing a woman who's so so there's a whole nother level there um and lest we think well that's just how they did it back then um there's a really wonderful now older article but an article i love to bring into my classes by stephen orgel uh called nobody's perfect or why did the english stage take boys for women um, that title, by the way, uh, is is an explicit reference to the really fantastic Billy Wilder film, Some Like It Hot, oh, where yes. you know the, yeah, the, the last the final line, the, the final line of of that <laughs> is is that we basically you know have uh, a, a, a a male musician who's disguised himself as a woman, and in his disguise as a woman, this millionaire has fallen in love with him and basically has proposed marriage and is is insisting, like, I want to be with you, I want to be with you, I want to marry you. And and finally the, the male musician, you know, says, you know, I can't do this. I'm I'm not a woman. Look, I'm a man. And and the 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 millionaire's response is, well, nobody's perfect. And then there's a blackout. And it really isn't care isn't clear what what happens at this point. Um, and you know, this idea of nobody's perfect that Orgel is invoking is is simply to point out that for a long time, you know, what critics might say or teachers might say in classes when when students found out that boys played all the women's roles in Shakespeare's theater would immediately be followed up with something like, and it was a convention, that's how they did it back then, and nobody noticed and nobody thought about it because it's just how it, just how it worked. And what Orgel points out quite rightly is that actually um, every other country in Europe that had theater in the 16th and 17th century had women playing the women's roles. And in fact, when people would come as tourists to Shakespeare's theater in Shakespeare's time, and saw plays, and they would write letters home, regularly they would mention things like, you know, yes, and it's a boy playing Ophelia. It's a boy playing the women's roles. They would, they, look, look, in England, they have boys play the women. Isn't this interesting that they have boys play the women? So Orgel simply says, as a statement of fact, um, it is not the case that nobody noticed. <laughs> And then given that nobody, that, that people clearly did notice and that they knew that there were boys playing the women's roles and they could see that it was a boy playing the women, that was, that was one of the, the things that people might be aware of. What does that do to a scene like this? And then one of the questions that I think doesn't get asked nearly often enough about this scene is, to put it bluntly, is Orlando this dumb is he suffering from yeah. what uh, a wonderful uh, uh, other scholar has? I, I she, she used this phrase in a podcast, and I loved it so much that I now use it myself, which is early modern face blindness. Um, <laughs> and yes, this is a convention. This is not just true in Shakespeare's plays, but in a lot of other plays where apparently, you know, your brother puts on a hat and yeah. because he's got a hat on, you now Oh, can't, the power of the hat. The, the power of the again hat. Again. Like, I mean, somebody like changes clothes with somebody else and now nobody, even their nearest right. and dearest have no idea who they are. Yeah. Um, so early modern face blindness apparently is a thing, but you know, on the one hand, we could say Orlando genuinely doesn't know that this is Rosalind because she's disguised herself as a boy and now 
is completely unrecognizable. But on the other hand, is there a way in which Orlando might be aware that this is really Rosalind, or at least on some level is aware that this is really Rosalind? And and if there's any level of awareness, how much could that make this even sexier? I mean, there there is definitely such a thing as role play. Um, it's something that people do where they pretend to be someone they're not. And whether that someone they're not is a French maid or, uh, you know, the mean teacher or any number of other kinds of kinds of scenarios. Um, this, in fact, you know, has a kind of wonderfully kinky, fun, sexy potential if part of what we can think is that. Um, part of what Orlando might be getting some pleasure out of and getting a charge out of is not just someone pretending to be Rosalind, but on some level it's Rosalind pretending to be someone to be Ro being Rosalind, and and that that is pretty gosh darn exciting. Um, so this is this is really a wonderfully sexy, fun scene, and Rosalind is sexy. Rosalind is sexy because she's capable of this improvisation this role play, this verbal fiction and friction. And we definitely get that in the final speech of this play delivered by Rosalind, you know, where just to prove our point, Rosalind basically comes out and says, it is not the fashion to see the lady, the epilogue, but also saying, you know, if I were a woman, I would kiss as many of you as had beards that pleased me. Rosalind is both desiring over the course of this play, you know, we basically get to see her not just fall in love with Orlando, but flat out desire Orlando, want Orlando, long for Orlando, pine for Orlando, express all kinds of desire for Orlando. And then also we get to see Rosalind as someone who is desired, that Rosalind is desired by Orlando, but Rosalind dressed as Ganymede also winds up being desired by Phoebe. And, and that, you know, Rosalind is this, this center for all kinds of complicated tangles of, of desires and longing and wanting and love, but also things that maybe are just a little bit more physical. And you have to imagine that you know, the things you're talking about, about the audience being aware that it's a boy playing a girl, playing a boy, playing a girl, <laughs> that, that, you know, that's some kind of delicious fun the playwright would have in building that into the, into the text. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and in fact, I mean, there were at the same time that Shakespeare was writing, Shakespeare was writing for what we refer to as an adult company, which means that most of the players in the company were adult men, although the roles for women would be played by boys and there would then be boy members of the company who at a certain point would presumably age out. Um, and what's interesting is that if you think that Shakespeare's plays have some dirty bits in them, some sexy bits in them, the plays for boy companies are actually quite a bit more bawdy. Um, are actually a lot uh, more, uh, have a lot more sexy stuff and erotically charged stuff. My favorite of those, um, for anybody who, who wants to take me at my word and, and follow up, there's a play by Thomas Middleton called A Mad World, My Masters, where there's a woman who is basically having a, um, an encounter with her lover in a bed on stage that has curtains around it. 
and her friend, her female friend, is covering up the sounds of the erotic encounter by pretending to be sick and coughing a lot uh, while her husband is on the other side of the curtain. And this is like a very, very funny scene of basically this, this, this woman trying to pretend that she's making all this noise to, to cover up the other kinds of sounds. And that is a boy company play. So that's the kind of stuff you get in boy company plays. It makes Shakespeare look pretty G-rated. And, you know, I do think that this sense of love as, as being madness, you know, tied up with all of this physicality and being out of control um, is also, it, 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 there's a wonderful little glimmer of an idea that gets set up in this scene that we're actually going to see come back at the end of the play, not with Rosalind's epilogue, but with, with, you know, some of the final action of the play that if we notice that Rosalind basically in, in her improvisation about this person that she's cured using her uncle's method, um, that what happens is not that then this person is no longer in love and goes on to be sane and healthy and go on his merry way, but rather that what she's promising is that he goes out of the, the mad humor of love into a different kind of madness and that instead it's a more straightforward kind of madness and it's a madness that leads him to forswear the full stream of the world and to live in a nook, merely monastic. That he goes from the madness of love being connected to another person to the madness of being completely solitary and alone. Um, at the end of this play, we're actually going to see a couple of characters who, who go off to be solitary and alone. And I think this at least raises the idea of, is that a kind of badness? Uh, Jake's is basically going to insist on going off and wanting to be alone. We're also going to get to see uh, that the usurping Duke, you know, report, we, we get a report that as he's riding into the woods, he meets an old hermit and then decides to basically abandon the world and go off and become a monk. Um, and that gives us a happy ending. But I do think that one of the things this play is interested in is community and people being connected to each other and people being in community with each other. And what does it mean to be in a kind of sane, healthy, functional relationship with other people? What does a good family look like? What does a good household look like? What does a good loving relationship look like? Um, what happens when those things are dysfunctional? And at least this, this idea that to go off by oneself is a kind of madness seems to be, you know, drawing a boundary that actually simply going off by yourself, that's not okay either. That's also dysfunctional. There, there has to be a way of, of being connected that is going to work. And so Rosalind here is, I think, pointing to a, a bigger idea that this play is interested in, that it's not ideal to be in connection with others in ways that are so excessive or so dysfunctional or so mad 
uh, to use her word. Um, but are there ways to be connected, whether that's to someone who's beloved, whether that's to a brother, whether that's to a father, whether that's to a cousin, to a friend, to other people in community, so that there actually can be something that's healthy, balanced, um, a kind of right relationship. And that seems to be what the play is, is trying to wind up with at the end. And whether or not it gets there for everyone and for all of these couples going into the arc, like, you know, paired up animals, uh, is, is a bit of a question. But at least here, Rosalind seems to be holding up some options, neither one of which seems perfectly great, being a love melancholic or being a mad hermit. Well, that question of community is certainly one that we uh, is it seems very vital for our current moment in time uh, and a good place to end our discussion. So thank you so much, Erin, for, for your great insight. And thank um, you so much. I look forward to speaking to you next time. I look forward to seeing, speaking to you next time, too. Uh, more as you like it and hopefully a time when we will all eventually come out of this forest. Um, <laughs> So thank Indeed. you so much. <laughs> thank you for listening to The Soliloquy Project, produced by the Greater Victoria Shakespeare Festival. To donate or for more information about our festival, please visit www.vicshakespeare.com. That's www.vicshakespeare.com. Stay safe and cozy this winter, and we'll see you again soon.